and so many amazing stories I wish I could share with you, but I wanted definitely to share one uh, with you if we could, and that was uh, Jill uh, told me that her dad came on Thursday night to service here. Uh, her dad, his name's Jerry, he's 81 years old, and Jerry, uh, right now hospice, the hospice nurse, a lot of those things, Jerry wanted to come to church for Easter. And Jerry has only been out of the house. Thursday night was his third time, I believe, since October. Uh, the others were for appointments. And Jerry came on Thursday night, wanted to be here. It was the first service of our Easter celebrations and sat in the back. And at the end of the service, uh, Jill was sharing with me that when I said, does anyone here want to commit, want to recommit to Christ, that she looked over and Jerry had his hand raised uh, on Thursday night which was just amazing. They said he talked about it all day Friday and the ride home. And the amazing thing is about that story is that his daughter, uh, Jill, told us that it's impossible uh, for her dad to raise his hands. He can't raise his arms. And every morning they actually have to like raise his arms and hands just to get a shirt on him. He can't lift his arms. And in her words, she said it was like 90 degree, like hand raised on Thursday night. Isn't that amazing? Um, and Jill, Jill, the daughter, was sharing with me that he talked about it so much on Friday uh, with the hospice nurse that she's coming to an Ontario service, uh, the hospice nurse now. So uh, thank you, Jesus, just for all of the stories that's been happening this weekend, so thankful for Easter. Glad that you are, glad that you are here. I heard the jokes, one of my favorite Easter jokes, but Easter was over. The pastor's wife, which my wife Angel had her birthday yesterday, uh, the pastor's wife dropped into an easy chair saying, wow, am I whipped? Her husband looked over at her and said, I had to speak six services, three Sunday, one Thursday, Friday, Saturday, total of six sermons. Why are you so tired? She said, honey, I had to sit there and listen to all of them. Um, <laughs> Not funny, not funny. We have had, uh, just as of right now, uh, over 620 people that have joined us online uh, this morning, and we have had people that outside of the country, people traveling spring break. One of my favorites was uh, that the, the nine o'clock service, we had uh, one entire group, Nick, an entire group uh, that was joining us from a deployment uh, to Kuwait, serving our country. And when I gave them a shout out, the parents said that Nick later messaged, uh, told me back between services, and the entire room celebrated when we gave a shout out to all those that were serving our country. But thank you to all those who serve our country. Thank you to all those joining us online. We're glad you're with us today. Thankful for technology. How many, uh, how many parents in the room? Parents in the room? Wow. Any grandparents in the room? Any grandparents? All the grandparents came to 9 a.m.? That's not funny. A few grandparents here at 1045. A little bit funny. There was a lot of them. Half the room was grandparents at 9 o'clock. Um, any uncles and aunts in the room? The uncles and aunts? You got that niece, nephew? I had some favorite uncles and aunts growing up. I yesterday run into a family, talking about family, I run into a family yesterday uh, that comes to the church here some, but they were telling me that they had gone to like three stores and there was no uh, plastic Easter eggs left. Uh, they had tried multiple places. Every, everyone was sold out. And it reminded me of the joke, why did the Easter egg hide? Because he was a little chicken. Uh, that's not funny. That is such a silly Easter joke. <laughs> 
That's not funny. I did hear the joke about five-year-old Brian. Uh, five-year-old Brian, I have four kids, and the joke is that little Brian uh, was actually to recite a verse in his church's Easter play, and the verse was Luke 24 and 6. He is not here. He's risen. That's his verse. He is not here. He's risen. Little five-year-old Brian came out to the front of the stage and looked out at people like yourselves. It can be very scary sometimes looking at people like you. Just very, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It can be very scary. And that's why I don't wear my glasses. <laughs> I can't see that far. Uh, not funny. Stop, Micah. Little Brian came out to the edge of the stage and panicked, looked, like, looked out in the crowd and he panicked. Uh, and what he actually said, because he couldn't remember what to say, he said, he is not here, he's in prison. Uh, <laughs> but I'm thankful today he's not in prison, he's not in a grave, he's not in a tomb somewhere, Jesus is alive. Are you thankful Jesus is alive? <clears throat> I want to talk to you in the next 20 or 30 minutes. Our subject today is crossed. Can we say that word together? Crossed. Let me say it one more time. Crossed. I want to talk to you about a dad, a father. I had you raise your hand if you were a parent or grandparent or if you were an uncle or aunt. I want to talk to you about a parent in the Bible that is in the Easter story, and he actually carries the cross of Christ. His name is Simon the Cyrene, but the Bible is also going to tell us that he has two kids that he is a dad. And that is our message today. I heard the true parenting story of Charles Francis Adams, son of President John Quincy Adams and grandson of President John Adams. He kept a journal and one day he entered in his journal, I went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. He was writing about all of the time, all of the effort, all of the energy that went into the preparation for fishing and going fishing. And in his journal, he wrote, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son also kept the journal, which is still in existence in their family. They still have this journal. And on that same day, his son made this entry into the journal I went fishing with my dad today, the most wonderful day of my life. We probably have no idea the impact and the influence that we have on those closest to us. When we look at this story and we start with the cross, you see three crosses here one on either side that would represent the criminals that were crucified with Christ. The one in the middle would be the cross that would represent Jesus Christ dying for our sins. That cross represents the greatest sacrifice of all time. When we see that cross, we could see pain and suffering, but also I believe that we would see endurance and grace and hope. It's a reminder of the payment that Christ paid for us. The Bible says that throughout history and scripture, that you could not have a wrongdoing, you could not have a sin and not have some type of consequence or payment for that. And they would actually use the shedding of blood for that. Hebrews 9 says 
that without shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness. And so Christ went to that middle cross to die for your sins and for my sins. Not only does he forgive us of our sins, the Bible says he forgets. He forgets our sins. I'm thankful for that. God would rather die than remember your sin. Although we celebrate and appreciate the cross today on Resurrection Sunday, I want you to understand that the crucifixion was a shameful death. Although history would tell us there was hundreds of them, they were, they were saved for the vilest of male factors is the word that they would use. The vilest of male factors, those that had committed very heinous crimes, would be crucified. Not only was this a shameful death for Christ, it was actually, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, it was a cursed death. Jesus said yes to the curse, to shame. He said yes for our sakes. In order to say yes, it starts in a garden. He is going to sweat like great drops of blood, the Bible says. And then his torture will begin. Everyone say the torture. According to scripture, science, and even history... Scripture would tell us he was abandoned, he was lied on, he had a lack of sleep. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today if, if you have a spouse or a child that if they have a lack of sleep or you have to get them up too early. My wife was singing today, so her alarm went off at 545. My older daughters were serving today, so they left early. I'm getting my youngest, my 10-year-old and 9-year-old ready. I'm threatening them. I'm telling them, like, we can't miss Easter. Like, I have to get up and talk to this scary guy. And like, you've got, like, let's go. Um, just kidding. I, <laughs> I'm not asked for a show of hands of what fatigue does to some of you. But there are some people that, if, you, if you're getting up earlier, if you've lost sleep for a night or you've been up with a child, fatigue can do a lot. I don't want us just to jump over that. I want us to understand that, that most would believe that Christ had not had any sleep for several days. And so it's not just a lack of sleep. Now they're going to tie his hands behind his back and they're going to beat him. At one instance, he's blindfolded while they are repeatedly hitting him. The goal was not just to beat him, but to break him. He's also whipped. They would take pieces of stone and glass and metal and put it in the end of a whip, and they would whip Jesus Christ, and it would pull pieces of his skin and his body out. And, and most would believe that actually parts of his insides and his back was exposed with the torture. In the torture, there would also be a great loss of blood. Scientists would believe when you study it, they would say, okay, if, if you were beat as hard and as long as what he was, if you were hit with a whip, if that affected uh, your organs, they, when you read it, they, they said even his spine would have been affected, that when all of these things take place in the loss of blood and the repeated hits to the head, they believe that Christ's head is a very serious thing. It would be twice the size twice the size of a normal head, Christ's head would have swollen to that size. It is no wonder to me that Isaiah chapter 52 verse number 14 would say, this is the complete Jewish Bible I'm reading, 
just as many were appalled at him because he was so disfigured. Everyone say disfigured. That he didn't even seem human and simply no longer looked like a man. When you think of the torture of Christ, I feel tears welling up earlier when Pastor Kristen is standing here singing about an old rugged cross. Friday night in our night of worship, multiple times I could feel emotions and tears welling up as you begin to think about the torture that Christ went through for you and I. Not only was it that lack of sleep and the fatigue and the fight and the hitting him, but then on top of all of that, you have what I would call the trip. The trip. Most people that would study the brutality that Christ endured would tell us that he should have died from the beating. But he actually endured. The abuse and attacks were enough to kill Christ, but he continued to forge forward. He had gone through the flogging, and now he is going to go up this trail that they would call the Via Dolorosa. He is going to take steps with the weight of a cross on his shoulders or on his back. A cross would weigh about 300 pounds. The sidebar, the patibulum, most believe would be about 125 pounds. So you have fatigue, you have blood loss, you have the exposed insides, you have the lashes on his back, and now you have Christ taking these steps to get to Calvary with the weight of the cross. Now, the steps, if they took a direct route, would be about 650 steps. One, two, three, 1,650. The route they most likely took was around 1,950 steps. If he was paraded through alleys, like some would teach, if he was put on a public display of humiliation, that would have been, if they took the route, some believe, 5,200 steps. During this journey of Christ, his mother and some close people to Christ are watching and observing. His mother has seen him turn water to wine. His mother has seen the miraculous in his life. But every time she looks at Christ, he doesn't call for heaven's help. He doesn't call for reinforcements. He continued to endure the cross. It's in this moment where he is taking these steps and the cross, whether it's the patibulum or whether it's the 300 pounds, I want you to imagine for a moment what it must have been like with each step. Step 10. Step 20. I wonder what was on his mind. Or I think a fair question would be, who? Who was on his mind? It's in this moment of fatigue and pain and suffering and I, I can't even do justice, the blood and the beating and the fatigue. But the Bible says that he falls under the weight of the cross. Or is it the weight of the cross and the weight of the world? When the cross falls, the Bible says that in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, this is where 
we have this intersection of Jesus and Simon the dad. The Bible says that when they led Christ away, they seized the man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming into the city from the country, and they placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. The complete Jewish Bible would tell us in Mark 15, verse 21, that a certain man from Cyrene, Shimon, or Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. And they, this is an important word, and they forced him to carry the stake or the cross or what most would believe the patibulum. Simon the Cyrene. When I read, when I read those verses of Scripture, I immediately, the last few weeks, want to know, why is he not just Simon? Why is it Micah Belleville? Or why is it Joe Goon? And where you're from? Why, why is it Ontario? Why, like, why are we saying Simon the Cyrene? I'm blown away when I begin to study Cyrene the last few weeks because I begin to find that Cyrene was a place that was known and noted for. People would flee there. So they had some, what they would call escapees, that would go to Cyrene. They would also have people that just wanted to get away from it all. Maybe you've just wanted to get away from it all before, that you're like, you know what? Life has just like taken its toll, and I need to get to a Cyrene. Simon, the Bible felt it was important to tell us Simon is from Cyrene. Cyrene is a city in Upper Libya, North Africa. I say that because if we were to look at a map, I want you to understand the travel. Everyone say the travel. For Simon to go from Cyrene to Jerusalem, he is going to travel almost nine hundred miles. This is not an afternoon walk. This is not something that is just the spur of the moment stroll. Simon is going to be coming. I shared with you that Christ is walking 650, 1950, maybe 5,200 steps. Simon is going to be coming for up to 900 miles. To put that in perspective, you would see yourself leaving today and walking to someplace like Gulf Shores, Alabama, or walking to Florida. Simon is coming such a long distance, and in the long distance in this travel, they would tell us in studies that it would take him about one month to get there. Which is why most believe that while traditionally and historically people would come to up to three festivals a year, they had the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, that they believed that this was possibly Simon's first time coming because it was so far away. We have one month, we have 900 miles, we have not only that it was time consuming, we have, when you study it from Cyrene to Jerusalem, at that time of year, was known for inclement weather. 
So it's very possible that Simon is surviving storms just to get here. We also find that at several pivotal points along the way, it's known for bandits, thievery, robbery. And so Simon has taken a chance on coming to Jerusalem. Not only is it time-consuming and costly, but he gets close. He's coming in from the countryside. We read it together. I'm sure here's sounds of crucify him. When you read the Gospels, it's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're telling us there's crowds. There's multitudes. It says all kinds of they and them. Simon walks into this chaos. And when he walks into this chaos, everything is going to change. This is what I would call the turn. In our last few minutes together today, I I want to talk to you about the turn. The turn, by definition, means a change of direction. Now, if I was to go and pretend I'm coming from Cyrene, 900 miles, bandits, storms, I'm coming 900 miles. If I was to come over and step through the steps of Christ, not really 1950. The truth of the matter is that this man, the Son of God, is coming from heaven. You've got this guy who's coming to a religious festival. You have the Son of God coming to have a relationship with humanity. You have Simon. You have a Savior. You have one who quite possibly is running. You have one who is redeeming. When you look at the two of them coming together, we just read two verses. The two of them are on a collision course and they cross paths. They cross paths. In the United States alone, there's 497 urbanized areas. There is 6,302,865 intersections. That means you can turn right, you can turn left, you can go straight, you can make a U-turn. Has anyone ever made a wrong turn? Has anyone ever had someone in the car that told you about it? A second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time? Have you ever got frustrated before and was like, you know what, how about you just drive? I can pull over. In our last few minutes together, I want you to imagine that Simon is coming to a turn in his life. Not talking about, not talking about GPS or a right turn or a left turn or straighter. I'm talking about a spiritual turn in Simon's life that is going to change his family forever. When Simon gets to this intersection, there's crowds, there's multitudes. I am so drawn to how 
the guy that's come 900 miles, how he gets picked out of the crowd. You, carry the cross, you. How, how, how does that happen? Then I start thinking about in my 29 years of pastoring or doing some form of ministry, I start thinking about all the times that people have told me, Pastor Micah, when that song was sang, when someone was speaking, I felt like God was talking right to me. Heaven just seems like it has a way of looking at rooms full of somebodies and finding Simon. It's like you could have a whole crowd. There's the Cyrene. There's the guy running. There's the guy who's been fleeing. And Simon in this moment is going to have this interaction with Jesus Christ. Now when I read this story, if I was to share with you in totality all the verses, it looks like, Eric, when you read this story, it looks like the blood, the fatigue, the exposed insides, the weight of the cross, it looks like Jesus needs Simon. But in reality, Simon needs Jesus. Maybe today, you would relate to Simon just solely on the word forced. When you read it with me, it says they forced Simon to take that thing. They forced him. My dad was 16 when he got married. My mom was 19. I was raised super, super conservative. My earlier years, I spent a lot of time with my nanny, who's now in her 90s, and my nanny, we would go to a Baptist church, and that's where I fell in love with hymns, probably why I enjoy when we're singing some of those Friday, and it almost reminds me of my childhood. We also would go to an apostolic holiness church, and men would sit on one side, and women would sit on the other side, and they had a hat room, you know, women would wear hats in, in church to pray, or as I began to get a little bit older, I began to realize just how conservative my family would be. When you're young, you don't really know even maybe what's going on, but we never had a TV, we never went to movies, never wore shorts. My mom, my sister never cut their hair, always wore dresses, no makeup. You know, a lot of times even with sporting events and games and amusement parks, that was considered lovers of pleasure. And a lot of those things in my earlier years were, were frowned upon. As I began to get older, I began to realize the impact that forced can have on you. Like when you're forced to do something, I think you almost begin to view God differently. Like God's always mad at me, God's always upset at me, I can never measure up. Even if I tried to be good enough for God, I'll never be good enough for God. And that impacted years and years and years of my life. I'm drawn... I'm drawn to that word force, like he was forced to carry the cross. What does that mean? And then I begin to read that if anyone was to touch a cross, if there was the blood of a criminal that was on this cross, which when you look at a head double the size and you look at the blood on his back and the exposed interior, Simon is knowing if I touch that thing, I'm tainted. According to tradition and laws of the Jews, he would then not be able to approach the temple. 
He would not be able to give his lamb to the priest. He would not be able to eat or celebrate Passover. I've come 900 miles. I've come through inclement weather. I've come through bandits. I'm not touching that. Which as we get ready to pray today, I would just tell you, I, I don't know if there's ever a perfect intersection for you and Jesus. I, I meet people and they're like, well, when I get my life together, well, when I'm not struggling, when I fix this, and, and then maybe. I don't know, Simon, if there's a perfect intersection. I know maybe you're going to negotiate a little bit here. Maybe that's why it's forced. When I talk about imperfect intersections, I've met people that have had God moments at the funeral home, at a gravesite, seasons of their life where they were angry and upset and mad, and yet God continued to show up in their life. I've met, I've met people at courthouses, strained relationships, fighting, arguing. And yet God showed up and said, I'm still here. I've met people that have seen where Jesus wouldn't quit on them at imperfect intersections. Maybe you were forced to even be here today. It's not forced to carry a cross. But maybe your intersection is, you know what? She nagged me. He kept bugging me. That coworker, like, I was like, geez, I'll just go for an hour just so you'll get off my case. And maybe today you're at an imperfect intersection. And you don't really see it until you're there, Simon. But in reality, you didn't come 900 miles to get to a festival. Simon, you came 900 miles to get to Calvary. When you look at this story, there's so much at stake for Simon, the dad. So much at stake. They say that there's a 0.0296% chance, less than a half of a percent chance, that your child will become a professional athlete. But there is a 100% chance that they will stand before Christ. Most would teach that this moment right here changed Simon's family forever. Tradition would tell us that Simon's sons became missionaries. Archaeologists have recently found even some of the remains and markings that they believe were from Alexander. Things that they uncovered and discovered. Many would believe that Rufus is the man mentioned by Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Some link Simon as being part of the men of Cyrene who would go on to preach the gospel to the Greeks in Acts chapter 11, verse number 20. What a story! that I thought I was going somewhere. I had a map, I had a plan, but God intercepted, interjected, intersection. They crossed. Maybe you're Simon today. As we get ready to pray, maybe 
your Simon today, that in a room full of somebodies, he's trying to get your attention. Maybe you've had your own Cyrene situation. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you've been fleeing. And maybe rightfully so. I'm not saying your childhood's my childhood, but, but maybe you got so turned off by church that you're like, I'm done with all of that. Maybe you've gone through your own storm. Maybe the bandit, the thievery has taken something out of your life. And you're like, I can't do this. I, there's no way. What if the whole time you were somehow on this collision course for this moment, this message for Christ right now? Can you imagine when the story starts and this guy over here is 900 miles and the Son of God is over here being beaten at a whipping post? You know how far apart it seemed like they were? And yet they end up here? Maybe you, maybe you would say, Mike, I feel like I'm 900 miles away from God. In this moment right now, he's just bringing you closer and closer. I feel God's love even as I'm saying it, closer and closer. What road have you traveled to get here? Maybe it wasn't Cyrene. I'm not asking Fredericktown or Mount Vernon or Belleville or Butler or Lexington or Ontario or Madison or... I'm not asking what road you traveled, like 97 or 71. I'm asking what road did you travel to get here? At 11.49, what, what road did you travel? Did it go through hurt and pain? Did it go through childhood, rejection, abandonment? Like what road did you travel to get to this prayer right now? There's some people in your row, there's some people sitting in chairs beside you that have no idea. They have no idea what you have been through to get to this point. Without seeing Matt's story on a screen, who would know seeing him in a lobby? That guy's shot at. That guy's dealing drugs as a teenager. That guy has no heat in Cleveland. That guy's trying to support, you know, a mom and children. Like, like who would know years and years of Matt's story? There, this room is full of those people. Full. You have been through so much to get to this point. What if you had a chance? What if you had a chance, Simon, to change your life forever? Let me take it a step further. What if you had the opportunity to change your family forever. I'm not saying Rufus and Alexander, your children, your family, when you raise your hands, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle. I'm, I'm not saying that your family has to go on to be missionaries or preach the gospel and chapter. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I am asking you a very serious question today. What if you had the opportunity to change your family's life forever. When that son wrote in his journal, went fishing with dad today, the best day of my life. 
how awesome would it be if your child wrote in their journal today, even if it's now on their phone or their notes or it's a snap or part of a, like what if your child was to say today, my dad forgave today. Best day of my life. My mom, I had a dad crying in the lobby that told me the other night, said, Pastor, actually my boy was Simon. I'm only here because my son brought me. This can go both ways, but what if your family member or friend was to write in their journal today and say that day, that Easter, that Sunday changed my life forever. It's never too late. Simon, it's never too late. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. God, I feel your love right now as we get ready to pray. Maybe you're in this room or online. You say, Mike, I've taken wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. Well, right now you can take a right turn. You can take a turn towards Jesus. Would you close your eyes today and just give me the honor and the opportunity to pray with you this Easter Sunday? If you're in the room right now or you're online, You've never given your life to Christ. The Bible says we're all born in sin. So it's not like you're the only one. We're all born in sin. We all need a Savior. We all need to cross paths with Him. But if you're here today, you would say, Pastor Micah, I really need Jesus to save me. I need to make a right turn. I need to make a turn towards God. Maybe you have felt forced to be here. Maybe it's not even why you came. Maybe you thought you were going one place and you're like, I can't even believe I'm crying right now. I can't, can't even believe I'm thinking about this. Maybe you've said no for a long time and you're at the intersection now. You're thinking, I, I think I want to say yes. If that's you today. I just want you to slip up a hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I, I need Jesus to save me. Would you just slip up a hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Just be bold and courageous right over here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right over here. Thank you about seven rows back on the outside. What an honor for me to pray for you today. Right over here, thank you, and thank you here. Right over here, sir. I want him to save me today. See, some of you wiping tears. This is a special moment right now. I want him to save me today. Simon, it doesn't matter how far you've ran, how much you've ran. He can find you. He can help you. This is not just Simon. It's not just Matt from Cleveland. It can be your story. God can save you. One last time, anyone else want to join all of these other hands that have gone up and said, Pastor Michael, will you pray for me today? Anyone else want to join them right over here and right back there? Thank you both. And right here again. I know sometimes in this moment, you just want to process it through, almost negotiate like, man, I'm so jacked up or I'm so messed up or I just don't know if I'm ready. I celebrate these decisions with you right now. The Bible says that when you confess or admit or realize your sin and you say, I need Jesus to save me, that he will hear that prayer. My second question today, if there's any of those dads or moms, uncles, aunts, grandparents 
that as I've talked today, you're realizing my decision is not just about me. I've got some Rufuses and Alexanders in my life. I've got some children. I've got some grandchildren. I've got some siblings. I've got some parents. Like my decision is not just about me. I want, I want to live a life of faith and see it impact my family as well. If you know God's word is talking to you and you want to recommit to your family, would you just slip a hand up in the air and say, God, help me to do it. Help me to do it for my husband, my wife. Help me to do it for my child. Hands are going up all over the room. Help me to do it for my parents. Help me to do it for people that are observing, that are watching. Hands are still going up. God, I I don't want to just do it for me. I've got a Rufus and an Alexander. Hands are still going up. As we sing this song today, it says that we'll stop all negotiation. Stop all of the like, I'm not sure, maybe might. And we just make a commitment to Christ on this Easter. And I pray that's everyone's prayer, including mine, that we would just make a fresh commitment to Jesus today. So I pray over every person that shot a hand up in the air, all those that responded online. I thank you for hearing our prayers this Easter Sunday. Thank you for coming. Thank you, God, for coming and intersecting with humanity and saving us. You commended your love. We were still a sinner. We had our own Cyrene, but you came and you saved us. And we thank you for salvation today. We thank you for grace and mercy today. We thank you for changing our lives, our families today. In Jesus' name, amen.